So tonight, uh, we're getting to the end of this, uh, <clears throat> this series that you guys have voted on. Remember, this is, a, this is a series that we didn't plan. We asked you at the beginning of the semester, uh, what do you want to hear sermons on, or what have you not heard sermons on, or what are you confused about in the Bible? Anything, really. So we've made a long journey through Job and the book of Revelation and predestination and all these terrible topics. Um, we didn't even do relationships. Y'all put that on there. We didn't even, no. We did that. We do that every two years, and this is not one of those years. Go to the podcast. Um, and so now we're arriving at some things that I think are really appropriate for where we are in the, in the year. Uh, to, y'all voted for trusting God. And for the most part, I didn't know what that, mean, uh, that meant. Um, I, I mean, I know what it means, but I didn't know where you wanted to go with that. So we're going to take it general, and then we're going to move very specific with it. Um, and so tonight, we're, we're going to talk about trusting God and what it looks like to trust God and how to trust God. Maybe that's a good, a good place to end it. Um, so we're going to take a roundabout way to get there. However, we're going to take a roundabout way. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, y'all are familiar, that's the Sermon on the Mount. There's another chapter, Matthew 7 closes uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Probably one of the most profound pieces of Scripture. Uh, and, and from our understanding of the New Testament, it's probably what Jesus was going around preaching and teaching. You read the New Testament and you don't get that. You can sort of grab pieces of that. But what we understand is that uh, Jesus was going around city to city and he was teaching a body of ideas. And what we understand about the Sermon on the Mount is that's probably the body of ideas that he was going around place to place to place to place. And he was repeating this sermon over and over and over again. It's why it has such a profound place in, uh, in Matthew. You're also going to see it in Luke. Um, it, it's it's a, a, a little different shape in Luke. And it looks like it's maybe even at a different place. So that's where we get this idea that it's not just the sermon that he gave one time on a mountain, but rather it's the heartbeat of what he came to say and do until basically his last year when he turns towards Jerusalem because he knows he's going to be crucified. And he starts walking towards Jerusalem and uh, pissing off the Pharisees so that they'll crucify him, if we want to put it that way. Um, but it looks like for these, these, these opening years of his ministry, this is what he was going around saying. Um, and so this is where I want to drop in. We're going to spend a lot of time on those last few verses, Matthew 6, the ending part of Matthew 6, but I want to sweep through really quickly and, and let you see why this is so profound. I want you to really get a big picture idea of what the Sermon on the Mount is really about. And so to get there, we have to go through Genesis, of course. And so to get there, I, maybe we can do this this way. Imagine, imagine for me for a second... And let's imagine, I want you to feel it a bit. What would it be like, what would it be like, what would the experiences be like, what would it feel like to be a human before the fall of humanity? What would that feel like? What would it be like? What do you got? Come on, go for it. Josh Sachs, you have something. I know you do. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, he's an intern. I know. What would it feel like? What would it be like to be a human? Okay, peaceful. Peaceful. Pure. Okay. 
I'm going with different. <laughs> How might it be different? Okay, fulfilling. Ooh, okay, here we go. Narrowing down a little bit. Ooh, amen, amen. Less confusing. Michael Bailey, what's up? Ooh, relaxed. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, a sense of completion, wholeness, maybe. That's good. Okay. Ooh. And naked. I was hoping you were going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> right, those are the only, actually, those are the only words we get about the experience of pre-fall humanity. Is naked and unashamed, right? That's the only, that's the only experiential words regarding what it felt like to be who we were made to be, to be who we were made to be, and in relationship rightly with our Creator. So to be human. You see what I mean by that? To be human, that's what it felt like. There's something about humanness and humanness at the core root of what it means to be a human that was lost when we walked away from the foundational relationship that we were created to be in. And not just we began to sin and we need a Savior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. But I'm talking about the, the way of life for a human inside of, inside of that relationship that we're created to be in that was the source of life, the source of wholeness, the source of peace, if we want to say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe let's just, let's just take a trail real quick. It, it's, not, it's not holistic, but just a way of thinking. Um... Consider how you would, in this pre-fall state, consider how you would treat relationships if you did not need relationships to feel okay. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine how you would treat a person if you didn't need that person to make you feel valuable, accepted, loved. So I'm not saying with God we don't need community. No, community is a big part of it. You even see that in Genesis 1 and 2, right? But there's a way we, that we use community beyond what it was intended for. Community is a good thing that we get to enjoy in relationship to our Creator and in relationship to His other children. It's like a family. I get to enjoy the relationship I have with my mom and dad and my siblings, right? But to enjoy my mom and dad only through my siblings would be, would be broken. So you see what I mean? What would it be like to have relationships that you didn't need to make you feel okay. And I don't even want to go too much further down there. But let's jump to another one. How would you treat possessions if you didn't need possessions to feel okay? If you didn't need things to make you feel satisfied and good and happy? If you didn't need possessions to quiet down your mind from racing all around about all the things you're worried about, how would you treat them differently if you didn't need them? How would you treat your own gifts, the things that you do well? Your intellect. Your looks. How would, you treat, how would you treat you differently if you didn't need to be a certain way to be okay? Right, so I, I don't 
I don't know the full answer to it, but it's somewhere locked up in there. Consider being so content with the present, with now. Consider being so content with right now that you didn't need to make plans about the future to feel okay about right now. Like, what if you were that content? That your solace in the moment, your peace in the moment, had nothing to do with plans you were making in the future or fears you had about the future that you were working to get rid of. What if you were just... What if you were just cool? Michael Bailey said it right. Relaxed. What if... What if it were like that? So I don't know... I don't know what pre-fall humanity is like. But I think it's profoundly different, profoundly different than our current experience. Okay, and so let's think, let's think for a second that the, the foundation for what would make life be like not needing possessions to feel okay, not needing relationships to be okay, and not needing our own gifts or our own the good things about us to be even better so that we can compare ourselves to other people so that we can be better than other people and feel okay. If we didn't, it, the foundation of that, what we see pre-fall, the reason that that doesn't exist pre-fall is specifically because the foundation of our lives is the Creator and the relationship we have with the Creator. Where the Creator says, here is who you are. You're made in my image. Everything is going to be okay. You're valuable because of my relationship to you. You're valuable because I made you and I'm going to do something with you. So there is identity and there's purpose wrapped up in the Creator and that Creator's relationship to you. Where there's this voice saying, it's okay. I love you. You're valuable. Everything is fine. It's going to be fine. Okay, then what would happen to humans if that foundation is removed? What would the quality of life be like then? If the foundation for what made everything not a necessity to feel okay, if the foundation for that that made everything fine where I engage in relationships because it's this beautiful gift given to me by God. I don't need it to feel happy. I don't need it to feel secure. It's just this thing I get to partake in on top of partaking in the Lord. And then even partaking in this returns in worship to the Lord for Him giving it to me. What if everything in creation flowed like that? And the reason it flowed like that is because I was in deep connectivity to the being who made me, who has all power and who knows all things. And that's the foundation of that experience, if we're going to use that word. What would it be like if that's gone? If that voice disappeared that said, I love you, it's okay, you have an identity and a purpose. What would that? Some of you more morbid people might be able to be really quick with something here. I don't want to call you to be a morbid man, sorry. What would that be like? What did you say, Frankie? Lost. Okay. Empty. Okay. Defeating. Like, you know where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> like life right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. What if you had zero confidence in how your future was going to play out? Good or bad? I can feel like right now. 
What if there was zero confidence in your value as a person? What if there was zero confidence in you having just the basic necessities of survival? What would you do in that lack of confidence? In your identity, in what you're doing here, in what would bring satisfaction, and what would make you secure? What, how, would you, how would you respond to that? How, what would you do to get rid of those feelings? What would you do what feelings would you want to get rid of the most? Anxiety. Yeah, 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 yeah. Confusion. Doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one would come up. Mmm, that one's huge. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Okay, so this is what's locked up in that statement following the fall of mankind. Not the one about seeing their nakedness, but rather the curse of man. That by the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your brow, you will work for your necessities. And then in your working, what you will bear is thorns and thistles. When you were created to be in a relationship with your Creator that provided an identity, that, that provided an identity and a purpose to cultivate this earth in accordance to what he wanted to do on this planet. And then you walk away from that relationship. You, you lose that purpose. You lose that identity. And then therefore you have these feelings that can't be there. You need to do something. And so you work. You work. You work to give yourself some confidence that the future is going to be okay. To get rid of those fears and anxieties. To, you work to make yourself look a certain way and act a certain way so you can be accepted by people around you so those people can affirm, yes, you are valuable. Yes, you have meaning here. And so you work. And sometimes it goes well and people affirm you. And sometimes it doesn't go well and people don't affirm you. But either way... It's still working to get an identity and feel okay with an identity. It's still working to feel okay about the future or to get rid of fears that you have about the future or to get the things in your future that you know you want so badly to make you feel satisfied right now because you know you don't feel satisfied right now. But you can feel better about now if you can look into the future and say, I'll have the things that will make for satisfaction. So I wrote down what y'all said. It would produce fear and anxieties that would motivate every single action of our lives. If the foundation is removed, then comes fear and anxieties that motivate pretty much every single thing that humans have done apart from God. And so then what we have to understand is going on in Scripture. What's going on in Scripture is that God has been working ever since they took the bite and in Genesis 3 he comes and he slays an animal and clothes them in it ever since then he's been working towards restoring that foundation so that the quality of life can be restored to the way that it was in some sense in many senses maybe not in every sense let's not unpack all that but to restore the quality of life of a creation back in relationship with their creator to restore what it's going to be like. So God is working post-fall to bring about that end. 
to take this Jewish nation and then bring them to Himself in covenant and in relationship. And then in relationship with Him, He brings the, the quality of their life and the direction of them as a nation in a certain direction that is reminiscent of pre-fall humanity, but not in any way complete. It derails, which then brings about the person of Jesus, which was planned all along to restore that way of life, not just for a nation, but for all nations. So God is working post-fall to restore this way of life, sorry, this way of life here. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Him stepping onto the scene and saying, this is what it's like being a human who is actually a human. This is what it's like. And He deconstructs many things that we have constructed around what it means to be a human. He deconstructs those. And so I'll walk it out, right? So I'm just going to fly through it real quick. This is why He says those things at the beginning. And maybe try to read read those opening lines like this because I think we try to connect blessed are this and this. Blessed are this and this. And that's not what He's doing. He's blowing up what it looks like to be blessed. In that day when you're blessed, you're blessed. You have money and power and wealth. You have no needs. You're not poor in spirit. You're not meek. You're powerful and you use your power to get what you want. Those are the blessed people. The unblessed people are the people in poverty, the people that don't have their basic necessities met, the people that are being oppressed by another nation. Those are the people that are not blessed. So he steps on the scene and he says it, sort of think about it like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be satisfied in righteousness. They will receive mercy. And they will be called the sons or the children of God. those people will receive all that God came to give to a broken people. And so He overturns everything that we know about what it looks like to be blessed by God. So He begins by deconstruction. Deconstruction. So He moves in. The blessed people are not actually the blessed people because this world is upside down and it's powerful people that are using not powerful people to get what they want out of life and you are caught in the middle of it and don't think I don't see you. I'm coming to free you from that. Not just from political oppression, but I'm coming to free you from the oppression of sin and the fear of death. I'm coming to free you from the things that keep humanity down. So he blows it up first. He just blows it up what it looks like to be blessed and then he moves into, he moves into the Jews really quickly. You were supposed to be the ones in relationship with me. No one else was in relationship with me that brought preservation. You were supposed to be the salt. You were supposed to be the light. But you were not salty and you were not light. And therefore, I am here. And then he jumps in. Your understanding of sin is wrong. Your understanding of righteousness is wrong. Your understanding of judgment that will set those right is wrong. So it's deconstruction, 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 right? Your understanding of sin is don't do bad things. And his understanding of sin is don't be bad. Right? Their understanding of sin is don't be angry. 
I'm sorry, don't murder, don't commit adultery. His understanding of sin is your anger, sin. It's the same as murder. Right? So he brings this leveling of sinfulness to where Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews alike, are all equally in need of something. So he resets what we understand bad and good to be by calling everybody bad, basically. And then in righteousness. Oh, you think you're supposed to give and let everybody know about it? No, that's wrong. You think you're supposed to pray and let everybody know about it? No, that's wrong. You think you're supposed to pray and heap up these phrases? No, actually, that's wrong. And so he overturns, 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 deconstructs, deconstructs, and then he jumps into what is it supposed to be like then for those who walk in what it means to be human? And this is where he jumps in really in Matthew 6. For those who would be poor in spirit and recognize their poverty and cling to Jesus and find reconciliation with God. For those that would do that and find reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus and His works, then their humanity is restored because the foundation is brought back in because the relationship is brought back in. The relationship of Creator and creation. And then he says, this is what that life is like. This is what the quality of that life is like. Let's go to 619 and that's where we're going to start. And you'll see why this is trusting God. Right. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. To be super simplistic and miss a lot of the meaning, but to at least give you a hint. If you desire bad things, you are bad. If you desire good things, you are good. It has a lot to do with desire. It has a lot to do with what desire does to a human. If your eye is bad, if what comes in is bad, your whole body, everything is bad. So it really has to do with desire and identity. It's really locking those together. No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That shouldn't say money, it should say mammon. Mammon is specifically not money. It's specifically riches that make you feel safe, is what that word really is. It's not just you like cash. It's you want to amass an amount of money... We can call it a nest egg or a 401k. We can call it whatever you want. But you want to amass a certain amount of money so that you can say, this money will protect me when the winds come and life hits. That's what that is. You cannot serve God and material things that bring security. Then he says, because you might ask the question, okay, then, okay. If I'm not supposed to be providing for me, then who's going to provide for me? 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who are not in relationship to God, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, this famous verse, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. As those who are in relationship to the Creator, as those who are in relationship to the Creator, your primary care is not your necessity. Your primary focus is not your necessities. Your primary focus is not your necessities now, nor your necessities in the future. Your primary care and your primary focus is what God is doing in history the advancement and the arrival of the kingdom of God once again on this earth where Jesus comes at a point in history and says the kingdom of God is here and now the kingdom of God is advancing where the kingdom of God was not on the earth before the arrival of Jesus. Then the arrival of Jesus brings one man who is in the kingdom of God, which brings about 12 men who are in the kingdom of God, which brings about hundreds and hundreds more in the kingdom of God until much of the Roman Empire, some say yes, some say no, are in the kingdom of God until much of the world is in the kingdom of God. So you see the advancement of the kingdom of light on the earth. And he says, for those who are in the kingdom of light, for those who have been bought by Jesus and are found righteous in the eyes of God because of the work of Jesus, your life is different. It looks different because you are in relationship to the Creator and the foundation of your life that gives value and the foundation of your life that gives identity, the foundation of your life that says you don't have to worry about your value, you don't have to worry about making yourself look a certain way or be a certain way so you can get accepted by people because you've been accepted by the Creator is, is back and restored and so you don't have to do that anymore. And the necessities, your need, the things you need to survive, He created you. Of course He knows that you need them. And back in relationship with Him, you can trust Him that He will provide and He will lead. And so you don't need to worry about how you're going to get all those things. You need to trust and follow and He will provide as you walk in His purpose for your life specifically in fulfillment of the advancement of the kingdom in history. You play a specific role that no one else can play as one of His children in the advance of the kingdom of light on this planet until he comes again Jesus comes again and restores it fully and the kingdom of darkness is gone and it's only the kingdom of light but until we get there we all play a certain role but what we see in one of Jesus's first parables is that there are those who can be in the kingdom of light they can be that third soil in the parable of the soils Right, there's one that lands on the path and the bird eats it and it's gone. 
There's one that lands in shallow soil and it springs up, but here come the winds and the sun and it dies. But there's another that lands in the thorns and it grows. It never gets uprooted. It's never, it never disappears. But it's never fruitful because the cares and the worries of this life choke out what it's supposed to be doing. And so it's like those, it's like those frustrating plants that never do what they're supposed to do. Like, it's frustrating for me because I have a small garden that never really works out. Um, it gets better every year, but most of the time, it's me going to buy some plants and the little thing, right? And then me preparing the soil, like waking up early before my son wakes up so that I can go garden a little bit before he wakes up because I want to care for him while my wife is sleeping. And so I'm going out there like shoveling manure, shoveling chicken crap, right? And digging it into the soil and then bringing mulch over and getting this plant going, right? Fertilizing it, which costs money. And then it grows and then nothing happens. It's so frustrating. It's so useless. It's supposed to provide me with something sustaining and beautiful and delicious. And yet it just grows, eats up my work, and does nothing. The third soil. That's how we become like the third soil. The cares and the worries of this life, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, and what I'm going to wear and what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, and what I'm going to wear in the future, consume everything. Consume everything. And so I hit on this a lot, and I've hit on this a lot this semester. Think of it like this. Here's the best way. We're going to apply this really quickly. Let's just, if we're going to boil this all down, what does it look like to trust God? When I say trust God, and you ought to trust God, I don't mean ask Jesus into your heart and you go to heaven when you die. I don't mean that at all. It's in there. It's in there. Sort of, but never mind. What do I mean by trust God? When you think about your future, there's, there's I, I would say most of you fall into one or two categories. One of two categories. You think about your future and you think about all the things you want in your future, and then you think about all the things you need to do to get the things that you want in your future, and then you set yourself on doing those things. So you look into the future, you, you have today, you have tomorrow, yeah, 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 but then you have like five years from now, ten years from now, and you have these things that you'd like to see happen, or probably what informs those things is the things I've been hitting on for the last few weeks, the narrative that our culture has told you that you should want in the future so that you can feel secure now. Right? So you should want, I'm not saying for I'm not saying don't save. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, here's what the culture says. You need to save the right amount of money so that you can do and have all that you want to have when you retire. It says you need to work really hard to make it through this amount of schooling so that you can have the most opportunity when you get out of school that you can make the most amount of money so that you don't have to worry about anything. And nothing should deviate from this plan Nothing should deviate from the plan of school, 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 work, work forever, retire, die. Nothing should deviate from that plan. And if you try, some of you have tried to deviate from that plan a little bit, and you get a little pushback from your parents. 
you get a little pushback from the culture at large because the culture at large says this is the path to happiness. And so what informs the way that you think about the future is a cultural narrative that says satisfied, satisfied, secure, secure, and here's how you get those things now. Go. And, you, and we go. And so what does it look like to trust God? When I say trust God, what do I mean by that? Oh, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's the other half of the room. That it's not so much desire in the future that you're trying to achieve. It's the fear of something in the future that you're trying to not have happen. I don't want to be alone in the future. I don't want to be poor in the future. I don't want to have a job that doesn't bring me some degree of success. I don't want to have a job that won't look good in the eyes of the community because I want to be seen as valuable within a specific community. I want to tell people what I do for a living and then say, hmm, okay. I want to tell people what I'm studying in college and then go, hmm, okay. I want to tell people I've got a PhD and then go, hmm, that's pretty good. Right, so you have not necessarily desires but fears about what you don't want to be the case and the fear of, of something happening that you don't want to happen governs everything. The fear of being a way that you don't want to be. Let me nestle some Christianity in that a little bit. Our culture comes on the heels of our culture, our Christian culture comes on the heels of a different Christian culture that we don't necessarily, necessarily like. What I see from a lot of young Christians is a ton of passion to not be like the Christians that came before them. To be very cause-driven. To be very ready to go on mission trips. To be very ready to not have a mundane job where you seek the kingdom at your job and you go home and care for your kids. So I'm not saying that any of these paths are right or wrong or anything like that. What I'm saying is a cultural narrative can inform your future, whether it's a cultural narrative inside of Christianity that says you don't want to be like those kind of Christians, or a cultural narrative that says get what you want and here's how you get it. It's all cultural narratives. So when I say trust God, what I mean is very simply this that I look out into the future and I erase all of those things and then I ask the Lord, really, what are you leading in this? And I don't say, so I don't say, God, I'm going to go this direction. If you don't want me to go this direction, blow it up. That's like, God, I believe in you, but I'm really going to do what I want. And if you really push your way into my life and kick me in the face while I'm moving along, okay, I might do something different. I'm saying move forward doing what you believe the Lord has called you to do. The reason that that's so scary is because it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain. It makes you actually need the Holy Spirit to come through for you. It makes you actually need the Holy Spirit to speak and direct and guide. It actually makes you, for the first time since the fall, a dependent being dependent upon their Creator. It's the first time that you actually have to move forward in Christianity as if you actually believe it. That the best thing in this life might not be a socially acceptable job and the right amount of kids in the right house doing the right thing that society has said do. 
It might be something totally different. Or it might just be that. As the Lord leads for you to make disciples in the community in which you live, in the job in which you work, and among the children that you do have. I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. What I'm saying is the Lord has a purpose in your life. And He is really, really, really good at being the good shepherd and to lead and guide when you open up your hands and say, lead and guide, and I'm not going to do this thing without you. So I have desires for my future. I've said this over and over. I would love to work at this church, live in the home I live in now, until the day that I die in this town. To invest my life in a community, my life in a group of people, and see the Lord move as He wills there. I tell him that's what I want. And then every time I tell him that's what I want, I also say my hands are open in front of this. As you lead and make it clear, I will follow. So locked up in all of this is confusion about the way that the Lord leads. Locked up in all of this is confusion about how he leads. And part of that is okay. The uncertainty is okay because we have anxieties for today and what he says is today is anxious enough for today and so the Lord is going to lead and guide in different ways with everybody but the beginning of receiving that guidance is simply opening your hands around from everything your future and your fears and I really honestly could give you some like little tips about how to understand what the Lord is leading in your life. But most of you would take those tips, make them the foundation of that guidance instead of, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you to lead me. I'm opening my hands from this course of life. It may be that you take me on this course. Here's the things I want. But I'm opening my hands and I'm saying, you lead, you guide, you make it clear. And I'm going to navigate that with the degree of uncertainty that you allow within that. But as you lead you are going to show and I'm going to be confident that it's your leading as I walk into it. And if, he does, and if He wants to move you, He will move you. But only as you open your hands, not as you say, I'm going to move, now kick me in the face. It sounds very different, but it's just a click over from I want you to lead, I want you to guide, and I'm going to move into that. And here I open my hands. It's very different. It's very different. And you know it and you feel it. You know it here when this is something that your mind is consumed with getting or fear that has consumed you about not getting something. And then when you open your hands and say, I know you bring satisfaction, you bring security, you bring life, you bring peace, you bring all these things that I want. Okay, I'm stepping into tomorrow and I'm pushing lightly on doors. If I think he's leading me into school, I'm applying for school. But I'm not wrapping my hands around it and rushing headlong into anything. You see what I mean? I'm pushing and I'm moving and I'm praying and I'm asking and I'm trusting. And then when I say trusting, what do I mean? I mean simply this. You're not trusting that God's going to give you everything you want or trusting that he's not going to give you any that you want. You're trusting the character of who God is. The Father has said, when you look in the face of Jesus, you see Him, you understand Him, you know Him. 
You understand how he operates, how he functions, what he wants, and what he's willing to do for your good. So in Jesus, what we see is that God the Father will do everything that it takes to reconcile you back to Him, to bring you back in relationship to Him so that He can provide the life and future that is for His glory, for the advancement of His kingdom, and incidentally, for your good as well. So in Jesus, we see that He's willing to be nailed to a cross for you, an individual. So that when I get fearful about the future, are things going to happen? Is He going to lead? What He's come down, He's been born of a woman and come down and crucified to show you is the character of God is that He loves you and He's able to do everything. Now breathe, open your hands, and move. But you, but you have to open your hands and recognize how powerful the cultural narrative tells you what brings life and what brings death if you want to say that realizing what our world is telling you about what it looks like to be a human and how that comes and then bringing that up against the sermon on the mount and bringing it up to scripture and saying okay it seems totally different but i'm not really sure what this looks like and so father i'm opening my hands for my future and i'm saying you get to guide you get to lead and i'm not just doing that once and then moving along that's why that prayer is in matthew 6 every day father in heaven Hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your will be done, not my will. Give me today what I need today, my daily bread. Forgive me of what I did yesterday. And I'm going to forgive the people that pissed me off yesterday. Because of the work and blood of Jesus. Lead me not into temptation, because my heart is wicked and it walks away from me consistently. So I need you to protect me from that. And then I move, right? Locked up in that prayer is this whole way of life. It's that whole way of life. And then a resetting of your mind around that way of life on a consistent basis. And what happens as you move is that He leads because He is a good shepherd. He leads you to quiet water. He leads you to green grass. He restores your soul for His namesake. He's promising us what He wants to do. And so locked up in Jesus is a character of God that I lean into and I trust Him to move me forward. So when I say trust in God, all of that. And so I'm going to close with this thing. The point of me saying all this is not to get you to trust God and so act differently. The point is to let Jesus reveal the character of God in such a way that you trust God more. Which will bring about you acting differently. But this is not about me wanting to see you not get your master's or not get your PhD or not get a good job. I want you to get all those things as the Lord leads. And I want you to be okay with Him not leading you into things that you so desperately think that you need. Because you trust His character. Because He is really good. Let's pray.